When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you because of your great love for us. Your love for us never ends. It never fails. You've transformed us forever because of your love. But above and beyond that, it's our prayer that as sons and daughters of yours, that we would make you proud of us, Daddy. Help us to mature and to grow. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, all right, you may be seated. So many of you know I'm the dad of a four-year-old girl and an almost three-year-old boy, Mila and Noah, and they are really cute. I helped. And they are preschoolers, and surprise, they behave like preschoolers. They annoy each other, and uh, they both still sleep with little blankies, and Noah at bedtime at night, still uses a pacifier. Uh, They need help taking baths and going to the potty. They can't read. They can't hold down a job. They sit at the table on booster seats, and they drink from sippy cups with the lids screwed on real tight. And all that is, you know, pretty normal stuff for their age. However, it gets a little disturbing if you see a grown adult doing these things, right? Let's take a look. I think about acting like a baby every day. I'm proud to be an adult baby. For me, it's, it's a big part of my life. It's something you can go to bed doing. I mean, you can role play in your head. I like to have a bottle each night when I go to bed and gotta have my pacifier. Stanley might be 31 years old, but for the past 18 years, he has gone to remarkable lengths to remain young at heart. Very young. An adult baby is somebody who gets satisfaction by dressing or acting as a baby. I either like to put on my crib toys or my mobile and let them play as I fall asleep. And he doesn't just talk the baby talk. He dedicates every aspect of his existence to the bubbly, messy, and magical lifestyle of an adult baby, spending up to eight hours a day role-playing as a toddler. Wow. Man baby. Would you have ever imagined that someone would intentionally want to go backwards 30 years and live as a baby? That's crazy. That's disturbing. That screams, I got issues, right? Why? Because growing is natural. Development is healthy. Now, in my house, we, we installed a, a ruler kind of thing on the wall. It's basically, it's a board with, you know, marks on it to measure our kids' growth every year on their birthdays. Their birthday is when, you know, we have them stand up and we mark that down. However, you know, the kids love to stand up next to it several times a week and have us, you know, measure them. Why? Because they're excited about the idea of getting bigger, about growing up. A couple of months back, I was at the kitchen table and Mila looks across the table and she said, Daddy, I want to get married someday. 
To which I said, baby, you've got a lot of time. And mommy and daddy are going to help you pick. (laughs) Growing is natural. And it's amazing to watch little people growing like right up in front of your eyes. And it's fun for them to look back on on that chart and mark and see how they've grown since their first birthday. Now, I didn't bring a measuring tape here this morning so that we could have everyone stand up against it. No. Why? Because spiritual maturity cannot be measured in feet and inches, but it can be measured against a standard, and that standard is the Word of God. And our job today is to look at that standard and compare ourselves to it. Now, here's the challenge this morning. Do not think about someone else's growth or lack thereof as I'm talking. I know it's going to be tempting. Once you, you, know, you measure yourself to give your neighbor the side eye and observe where they are compared to you, right? It's like, you know, when you're at the gym and you're on that treadmill thing and someone's next to you and you look over and you see, you know, how long have they been going on this? What are their numbers, right? It's a, it happens. We've all done it. But this is not a competition with our brothers and sisters, right? If your goal here is to be like, I'm winning, I'm winning, I'm beating you because you're comparing yourself to each other, you've already lost. Compete against yourself. We all started this race at different points in our lives. And some of you here this morning, you might be 60 years old, but you got saved last week. Some of you here, you might be 15 years old, but you've been saved as long as you can remember. Spiritual maturity, it's not measured in years. It's measured in character. And now we're going to be diving in and taking down some of our measurements. Are you ready? No. No, you are not. But don't be afraid. I did not bring a big scale up here for everyone to stand on and, you know, weigh everybody. But that's not a bad idea. Maybe next time. I'm kidding. All right. So, okay, let's take a a look at one of the measuring sticks. We find it here in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, now these are gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever, they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, and as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So, how can you tell if you're a maturing Christian? Well, I think one of the the gauges on that is going to be, are you growing? Look, no one here has arrived. Paul says, we're growing in every way more and more like Christ. Is anyone here this morning the spitting image of Jesus Christ? Because I want to know. 
Are you here? No. Okay, no, no one here is. We are all growing. Now, the bad news is we might not be where we want to be, but the good news is we sure as heck aren't where we were last year, right? No one stagnates. In our physical bodies, we stop growing at a certain point. This is as tall as I'm ever going to be, no matter how much broccoli I eat. Does broccoli even help you grow taller? (laughs) Mom, you've been lying to me. All those years, I forgive you. All right. But spiritually, mentally, emotionally, all of these aspects of who I am should be developing. Everything that is alive and healthy grows and changes over time. So it follows that if you are not growing or evolving in your spiritual life, you are either not alive or you're not healthy. But without that visible ruler, how can we tell if we're not growing, or if we are. So back to 1 Corinthians. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the things of the childhood behind me. So I think one of these gauges we can look at is when you're maturing, your thinking changes. Now, As babies, we have no concept of any reality outside of what we can see. Now, it's a fun game for parents of little babies, right? You have the toy, and you're showing it to the little baby, and then you hide it behind your back, and you wait a second, and then you pull the toy out, and the child's totally surprised. Why is that? Because as far as a baby is concerned, if it can't see it, it doesn't exist. But as the brain develops, you observe a change in the behavior, and they try to look behind your back to find the missing toy. Thinking changes. Now there's a new concept. There's more to reality than what I can see. So spiritual babies are only interested in what they can see, and they only talk about how their circumstances are right now. In fact, the basic definition of an atheist is someone who only believes in what they can see. So if you're walking out your faith with no faith at all, you are a practical atheist. And you say things like, look, I just don't see how Jesus is going to change this for me. I I don't know how he's going to work in this area of my life. Look, I just think I'm always going to be this way. I'm just going to have to accept it. I'm always going to be the way I am right now, whatever that is, sick, broke, lonely, angry. But maturity says to speak of things which are not as though they were. In Romans, it says, even God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which are not as though they were. So who is the first person to speak of things before they were seen? Our daddy, God, our father spoke this universe into existence. Every promise, every prophecy was spoken before it came to pass. So when faith awakens in our hearts, guess what gets affected? Our conversation. We start talking about the things we believe, even if we haven't seen it with our eyes. This is what Paul is talking about when he said, we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. I believed, so I spoke. Your words are connected to your beliefs. 
And the growing believer says, well, I might be sitting in the doctor's office right now, but I believe that Jesus is healing me. The growing believer says, look, regardless of what my bank statement says right now, I know that God is my provider and He is going to make a way. He's going to prepare what I need. The growing believer says, man, I might still be struggling with unforgiveness, but I know that God is going to turn this around for me. He is going to help me. You see, what I see is not the end of the story. How we think of ourselves determines a level of growth. It's a factor here, you know, because children can only think of themselves. Babies don't understand the concept of others. No baby decides to skip a meal in the middle of the night because they're thinking, oh, well, you know, mom's really exhausted right now. I'm going to go ahead and give her a break. Remember from history class, the, the Copernican Revolution? It was, a, it was a paradigm shift. It was an antiquated model of the heavens in ancient times that had the earth stationary at the center of the universe. And now Copernicus came up with a new model with the sun at the center of the solar system. And all of us need a Copernican Revolution. My job as a parent is to give my kids a Copernican Revolution and teach them They are not the center of the universe. Paul says in Romans, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. And on a personal note, I just have to say here that the most regrettable moments of my life were moments when I was only thinking of myself. And conversely, the best moments of my life have been spent serving others. You feeling me this morning? Does it resonate with you? Here's another mark um, on that that chart. As you're maturing, your talking changes. Look, I was was, uh, speaking to a veteran friend of mine, and he was telling me how he'd been focused on eliminating cussing from his vocabulary. It's been something he'd been doing for a long, long time. It was just, it's a habit. And he was saying how his wife was, you know, trying to help him with this goal. So she put out a a cursing jar, right? And every time you slip up, money goes in the jar. He said, lately I've been doing it for Jesus and I just don't do it anymore. And now I'm at this place where I really notice it whenever I hear other people saying those things. And I love that. It's something that I've heard over and over with people and they try to make changes on their own, big changes or little changes, whatever, whether it's smoking or cussing or pornography or whatever, when they try to do it on their own in their own strength, they keep failing. But when they gave it over to Jesus and gave it as a sacrifice of worship to Jesus, they began to access His power, not just their own, and they found victory. Listen, there isn't anything that you would give up for God, but that He will come and fill you with more of His presence, more of His Spirit, and more of His power in your life. My son Noah didn't talk very much for a long time. Now he's a talker. But the deal is, he doesn't have much of a vocabulary, and the conversations are kind of limited, you know what I'm saying? Because it's like about fantasies that he makes up in his head, or about bits of memories, and mostly about toy guns. So while we always encourage conversation with our kids, it's nice when Kirsten and I can have an adult conversation. You remember those adult conversations, ones with a beginning and a middle and an end? 
That's amazing. And listen, as we mature in our lives through stages of growth into the fullness of Christ, our conversations change too. The Bible says that Jesus spoke with great authority and clarity about God and matters of the Spirit. And Jesus said, everyone who loves truth listens to me. Jesus said that his words are spirit and they are life. And Jesus puts great importance on the words that you and I speak. He's saying in Matthew chapter 12, a good man brings good things out of the good that's stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil that is stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. Our words are a reflection of where we are spiritually. And when we're growing, we're talking about things that are good. We're building each other up. We're not just talking about ourselves or complaining because we recognize the power in our words. We can build each other up, and we can tear each other down, and we can rebuke the enemy or we can invite him in. What are our words saying about our maturity? You like that one? You ready for another one? Okay, here's another gauge on the chart. As you're maturing, your behavior changes. Babies cannot control anything, right? They can't control their bowels, so they got to put it in a diaper. Their arms and their legs kind of move randomly, you know, jerking around. You have to hold their heads up. They cannot control their bodies or their emotions, and they have to be taught self-control. And can I just say, this is a lifelong lesson. Am I right? Now, behavior really begins up here in our thoughts. Every word we say, every choice we make starts with a thought in your mind. You cannot always control all the thoughts that pop up into your head. However, once the thought is in your head, you now have a choice of whether to embrace that thought or dismiss it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We take control of our thoughts and we make them conform to what is godly. So although thoughts may pop up involuntarily into your head, your behavior is a choice. You choose how you behave. And I can hear someone saying it now, well, I can't help it. This is just who I am. That's, that's man baby. That's man baby talking. Jesus would not tell you to do something that you couldn't do. We make choices about how we respond to people and circumstances. That's called self-control, something that babies don't have. And here's what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. The spirit of self-control comes from God. And the longer we submit our thoughts and our actions to God, the more self-control we have. Babies say, I'm acting this way because of my circumstances. I have feelings. But a mature believer says, in spite of my circumstances, in spite of the way that I'm feeling right now, I choose to behave in a way that honors God. It is a choice. Like that one? 
Okay, next one. Next gauge is relationships change as we mature. When I was a child, I reasoned like a child. Everything was about me. But as you get older, your eyes start to open up and you start to consider other people. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Paul is saying here that the mark of spiritual man-babyism is jealousy and quarreling. It's about how we're relating to each other, and this is key. It speaks to our relationships amongst each other because our relationships are the means of our maturity. Well, some of, someone's saying, well, you know, that can't be right. No, no, no. God alone is the definition of my maturity. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. All right, well, the Word of God is the mark by which we measure maturity, right? But our relationships in the body of Christ are the means to our maturity. In other words, you don't get to have a relationship with God in a vacuum of isolation, right? Let me put it to you this way. Here's a math equation. If someone says to me, hey, Michael, I really like hanging out with you. You are a lot of fun, but your wife, Kirsten... I can't stand her. I mean, I cannot even figure out why did you marry her? How many seconds until I drop that friendship? Right? Like it or not, the church is Jesus' wife. So turn to someone and say, I'm a package deal. Right? Ephesians chapter 4. Now, these are the gifts. Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So, so there are people that are gifts from God to help build up the church, the body of Christ, and that's us. And it says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And then we will no longer be immature like children. Remember that that scripture that says, as iron sharpens iron, so God sharpens a man? Is that what it says? No. What it says is, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So if you find yourself bristling against authority in your life, the chances are you're still in a diaper. See, authority's role is to speak truth in love. God's authority doesn't abuse, but speaks honestly to you with love and compassion, but still truth. So speak truth to someone. Because you represent to someone spiritual authority. Even if you just got saved, received forgiveness from the Lord, there are people that you know in your family or your friends who you represent the very first idea of spiritual authority. Why? Because now you are spiritually alive and they're still spiritually dead. But there's chain of command, right? 
we are all under spiritual authority from someone. We are all accountable to someone in our life. And so, because we have godly authority over us, our role is to listen to truth and weigh it against the Word of God and then apply it to our lives. Then we will grow in every way more and more like Christ. And isn't that the goal? So, there's a way to approach each other about matters of maturity and failures, and that is with love and care. It's, I got to say, it's really annoying to me as a dad whenever I, I hear Mila, you know, scolding Noah or threatening Noah with punishments that she, <laughs> she can't make good on that stuff. It's, it's not her role. Conversely, I got to say, it's really heartwarming whenever I hear Mila say to Noah, you could do it, Noah, you can do it. You see, that speaks to relationship. They're siblings. They're brother and sister. And in this room, we are all brothers and sisters, Right? Now, some here have appointed roles as spiritual mentors and authorities, and that's a different relationship and a role that allows for, when it's needed, spiritual correction and discipline. And there's a way that my dad speaks to me, right, that's different than the way my sister talks to me. So, encourage each other, and yes, lovingly confront and challenge each other, but we never shoot our wounded brothers and sisters, We don't ever do that. Why? Because we're meant to sharpen each other so that we can become weapons for good against, hello, the tide of evil that is around in this world. But when we pout and we fuss and we isolate and we run away when someone tells us no, then your weapon gets dull because we need each other. And we need the natural friction of relationships to make us stronger, to grow up to become more dangerous against the powers of the enemy because now there's a level of trust, right? There's a bond of brotherhood here that supersedes all of our differences. And we fight the powers of darkness with passion because we will flat out destroy anything that comes against my brother and my sister. When you're growing up, you take ownership. When we're children... Everything did everything for us, right? People dressed us. People took us to the bathroom. People fed us. Now, I don't know about what goes on at your house, but at my house, there's something crazy that happens around dinner time. This little silly switch gets flipped on, right? And Mila and Noah, they just want to sit there and make faces and giggle and be clowns. And so inevitably, Daddy will have to issue a warning, and the foot comes down. The foot is down. And it is amazing to me the speed at which my kids can devour candy. It would, make a, it would make a test pilot blush green with envy, right? But when it comes time to eat a healthy meal, time slows down to a halt. Trust me, I'm doing penance for all of my dinnertime sins with your precious grandchildren. I'm going to make a reality show. It's going to be called uh, Parental Penance. It's going to be a huge hit. Everyone's going to watch it. All right. And that face, that face when someone tells me, I left church because I wasn't getting fed, or I stopped going to Bible study because it wasn't feeding me. Can I just say here for a second, I have been feeding myself with, you know, relative success since I was about two Our pastor's job is not to keep you from starving to death. 
right? Yes, you should and you will get fed spiritual food at Calvary Christian Center. But do you only eat meals once a week when someone else is feeding you? If you are a normal, healthy human being, you desire food every day, multiple times a day. Can I get an amen? You like food here? I like food. A sign of illness is loss of appetite. And the same is true of your spirit. You see, when you start to mature, your parents, they put food in front of you. And you are responsible to make sure that it goes in that hole in your face, right? It goes into your system. And when you get older, suddenly you start learning how to put, you know, some things together. You learn how to make toast or you learn how to make a sandwich or mac and cheese, right? And you go into the pantry in the kitchen. The ingredients are all right there for you. You can mix them all together and then you eat it. It's, it's amazing whenever you're hungry. And then you start to get older and you recognize, hey, what is it that my body needs? And then you get in the car and you go to the grocery store and you buy a bunch of different ingredients. You take them home and you cook them and then you eat what you made. Now, I'm going to take this uh, remarkable analogy a step further and say, when you mature, you even start eating food not because it tastes like chocolate, but because it's good for you. Maturity recognizes I have a problem with anger. Maturity recognizes I have some unresolved bitterness, and I need to look up every verse that I can find about forgiving my enemies and praying for those who persecute me. Maturity says, I got a problem because I'm judgmental and I'm critical and I'm proud. And so I need to devour every verse on humility that I can find. Look, I love the EC verses of the Bible, right? Those ones that talk about God's love and His grace and His mercies that never end. Those are awesome. But sometimes I need to eat the parts of the Word of God that stick a little bit going down because I recognize that's what I need. It's good for me. You see, the Bible's a recipe, and we don't eat recipes and get satisfied. No, you actually have to go through the process and follow the recipe, right? You see where I'm going with this? When you're growing, you learn to feed yourself where to go and get what your soul needs. Three times a week, pastor has good, hot, spiritual food ready for you, all prepared. You just come with your fork and get it in, and you start growing. But no one here who is healthy only eats three meals a week. When you're maturing, You take ownership of your own spiritual health, and you satisfy your spiritual appetite. You ready for another one? On the chart, spiritually maturing process means I'm starting to serve others. You know, another sign that you're growing up isn't just that you can take care of yourself, but that you learn to start taking care of others, right? It's kind of a big deal in our society when a child grows up and they leave their parents' home and they get their own place and they pay their own bills. Can I get a hallelujah from the parents in the house this morning? And they get a job and they become 100% responsible for their livelihood. Oh, parents, you got to feel pretty good about that moment because now you have successfully launched your child into life. But a major step in maturity is when, you know, and it's exciting to process through that, you know, when you're doing it. But once you've processed through that, and another step in that maturing process is, 
I can start to take care of somebody else. You know, it was a, it was a good feeling of independence when I left home and I could take care of myself, myself. But then I got married and then we started having kids. And now I've got three other lives that depend on me. Stuff just got real, right? Spiritual maturity means that you can feed yourself and someone else. So can I just ask this morning, who are you serving? Who are you pouring into that needs to learn from you? You see, because if I do my job right as a dad, then my kids someday will not only grow up and be able to take care of themselves, but someday they will have spouses and they will have children and they'll be able to take care of them too. The most important thing that you accomplish in life may not be some career achievement or hitting some financial goal. It will be the lives that you influence. And when we grow up and we start to realize the importance of sacrificing our lives and sacrificing our time and our energy and giving it to others. Another gauge on the chart of growth, obedience. It says in the Scriptures, during the days of Jesus' earthly life, He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence. Although He was a son, He learned obedience from what He suffered. And having been made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. So, here we see that the perfect Son of God learned something. I think that's kind of amazing if you think about it. Jesus learned something. What was it that Jesus learned? Obedience. And how did Jesus learn it? Through suffering. You see, you have to remember here that Jesus, while yes, absolutely yes, was a man, He was also a man unlike any of us in this regard. Jesus never lied to his parents. Jesus never stole anything. Jesus never cheated on his homework. And Jesus never disobeyed. And you and I, we did all those things and then some, didn't we? And then when we got caught, what happened? We got in, or we might have lied, yeah, but, but if you got caught in the lie, it was even worse, right? We got in trouble. And I remember getting in big trouble in elementary school, and this was back in the day when the principal kept a wooden paddle in his office to deliver corporal punishment. For some of you are shocked right now at the words that are coming out of my mouth. You have no concept of this. But hear me now, I got spanked at school. And then when I went home, guess what happened? There's, there's no compassion in this room this morning right now. They're applauding. They're, uh, yes, I got spanked again for getting in trouble at school. Pain is a teacher. And Jesus learned obedience through suffering. And now we're talking about suffering that would end his life, right? And though Jesus never sinned, he willingly took upon himself all of your sins He was learning something. He did not have to do that. 
but he did it because it was his father's will. And then in addition to that, he took the punishment that you and I deserved and God's wrath was on him in my place. And now when you approach Jesus, you're approaching someone that has compassion on your weaknesses. Jesus understands that you don't like pain and you don't want to experience suffering, but Jesus knows that you need it in order to grow. And Jesus will walk through those sufferings with you in this life and he will encourage you in those dark times when no one else is there or can because Jesus understands like no one else can. Physical pain is a part of growing up. It's called growing pains. I remember getting them in my shins as a child. Mila's getting them now. And our bodies grow, and it's their natural stretching and pulling of our bones and muscles. It hurts. Why is it that when it comes to other kinds of maturity, we think somehow that we can run away from all of the pain and discomfort and still grow and be healthy? We can't. No, there's a deeper skill that we must learn in order to continue growing, and that is to accept discomfort and pain. Not because we are self-hating sadists who want to be doormats, no, but because we've overcome that animal instinct to just bolt and run. For example, if Kirsten or I take one of our kids to the doctor and the doctor prescribes a shot, I know that's going to hurt my kid, right? Temporarily. But I am willing to let them experience that pain, even hold down a leg, because I know there's a long-term benefit. So even in a spiritual loving family, there's going to be pain. Someone is going to say something that rubs you the wrong way. It says in Proverbs 27, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Let's just cut through the drama of how they said it at the wrong time, in the wrong place, in the wrong way, and just ask yourself, is there any truth in what was said? Is there anything that I can take and grow from this? When you can receive wounds from others and not be jaded or dispose of relationships with your family or your church because you haven't yet learned how to sit still and take the shot of medicine that you need. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. And it, what it does mean is that you trust in the love more than you fear the pain. And that's precisely what Jesus was doing for you on the cross. And that is what we must learn to do if we're going to grow up. So even though growing up comes with pain, can you imagine the pain of not growing up, of staying a baby? Does anyone here want to go back and wear a diaper this afternoon? You want to have a little pacifier in your mouth today? Mm, some, some pureed peas for lunch? Sound good? Strained carrots, bibs? Although the nap thing. I'm thinking about that. But think of everything that we would miss if we were still babies. The, we'd, we, we'd miss that moment, that thrilling moment when we learned how to ride a bicycle and we felt the wind on our face and our hair. Or when we, if we were so nervous and, and, and excited at the same time learning to drive a car for the first time or jumping out of an airplane or, or getting that acceptance letter from college or learning how to shoot a gun or, or, or falling in love and getting married and holding your own baby or buying your first house. Think of all the highlights in your life that you would never experience if you stayed a baby. It's the same thing spiritually. So much is missed when we refuse to grow up. 
you miss the freedom of forgiveness. You miss the freedom of not being controlled by other people and what they do to you or by your emotions. The joy of becoming more like Jesus and experiencing the pride of the Father when he looks at you and he says, you did that just like me, just like Daddy. You see, but it's not only us who benefit from growing up and maturing. Romans chapter 8 says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. You think the whole earth is waiting for the election of a president? No. The Bible says that the creation waits in expectation for the revelation of the sons of God. The whole world is not waiting on the next invention to buy or more money to spend or another politician to come and lie to them. No, the world is waiting for the sons of God to grow up, to be manifested in the supernatural power of Jesus Christ. It is God waiting for us to grow. It is God waiting for us to manage our gifts and become mission-minded. It is God waiting for us. And we come into church and we pray and, and we see the state of the world and we see what's going on in Orlando. We see what's going on with ISIS and other parts of the world. And we see the war and the terrorism and we tremble and we come into church and we say, God, God, we're waiting on you. And God responds, the world is waiting on you. I am waiting on you. All of this groaning, all of these labor pains, it's the world crying out to the church to step up, to step into the spotlight and into the maturity that God has called you to and equipped you for. But babies can't fight battles. We need men and we need women and we need Jesus' disciples who will put aside the weights and the immaturity and the pacifier and the blankie and everything that ensnares them and walk. No, run on the path with purpose, the thing that God has laid out in front of you to accomplish. So let's not keep the world waiting because we are too old for that. Can I get an amen this morning?